Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name is Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by John Kutzia. John, you're very welcome to the podcast. Uh, let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself to our international audience. Tell us a little bit about your journey and all the wonderful things you're involved in. So over to you, John. Oh, wow. How to do this in like 30 seconds and not bore people. Really challenging. Uh, my name is John Kutzier. Uh, you can find me anywhere online. And I write for Forbes as a senior contributor, and I do a lot of podcasting. Tech First is mine, and I consult with a lot of clients. Uh, my writing is mostly in the area of AI and robotics and technology like that. And my consulting is mostly in the areas of ad tech and MarTech, and it's just been a weird coincidence as, that, as to how that's happened. <laughs> I've been a writer um, I've been, um, I've built software, um, I've done biz dev, I've led teams, I've started companies, I have raised capital in for seed rounds and A rounds, and now it's uh, sort of me, myself, and I, uh, except that my wife and I both run our company together. Well, thank you very much indeed. That was impressive fitting all that into a very tight intro. Um, look, I know as a, you know, you've been a journalist, an analyst, an author, uh, you've, you've raised money, you've worked in the VC, you've worked with VCs, you write for Forbes, and you are no stranger to the world of podcasts and video podcasts. So maybe let's start there. Uh, tell us a little bit about your podcasting expertise. Here's the funny thing is that I've, I've written, um, as a journalist, full-time journalist and part-time journalist for a long time, decade and a half or something like that. And we came into the pandemic and guess what? Couldn't travel anymore. And I thought, what the heck am I doing? You know what? Let's talk to people. And so I started doing my tech first podcast and talking to people just like we're talking right now. And I thought, you know what? Let's sweat the assets. Hmm. I can send the video to YouTube. I can send the audio to the podcast. I can take the transcript and put that on my website. I can take the insights from that and put that in the article on Forbes. And it can all be this wonderful thing that springs from one single asset, which is a conversation with smart, intelligent, creative people. Yeah, I like that. And you've made that sound like it's so simple, John. But uh, I know behind the scenes, that takes a little bit of work and effort. Now, do you have a little team working with you? Are you doing it all yourself? What does the workflow look like for you? So I do some podcasts with clients. And for those, we typically have a team and there's an external editor and other stuff like that. For my own podcast, I just do it myself. It's ridiculously easy, although it does take some time. Uh, I use Descript, uh, which is you can edit video like you're editing a document, like a text document. It's pretty insane. Don't get paid for that. So that's an unpaid <laughs> promo spot. Um, and, and that's pretty simple. And then you just export and go to the various platforms. If you're if you're thinking doing it yourself, you know, and you're doing audio, use Anchor. It's owned by Spotify, but it sends your audio podcast out everywhere to all the services you know, once it's set up, you know, it's sort of set it, forget it, done. Yeah, hundred percent. And you mentioned the um, the hot buzzword of the moment. You mentioned AI, oh. and uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have to dive in a little bit, John, because you have uh, particular insight, knowledge, expertise in this area, and we've seen, haven't we? Um, I suppose this resurgence of artificial intelligence, chat GPT is on everybody's lips, mid journey. It's impacting everything from 
video, synthetic humans, audio, the written word. Um, let's get a view from the top, John. Where where are you at with the current state and where we're going? It's a super exciting time to be alive. It's a super exciting time to be alive. The AI that we're seeing right now is, is we're in the golden age of AI right now as machine learning has become sort of normal, right? Very interesting things going on with generative AI, and that has tons of implications for the work we do, the work we don't do, the people we hire, the people we don't hire, how you get the work done that you need to get done, uh, what is copyrightable. Uh, I noticed that uh, images made by AI, such as Midjourney, uh, were just declared by some court in the U.S. to not be copyrightable, so that's interesting. It's And of course, um, I also work with a lot of artists who are really concerned about generative AI and what's it trained on and is that my stuff? And, and there's lots of conversations to be had there and lots of opinions to have. The interesting thing for me is the underlying substrate from which we create AI. So we use a lot of NVIDIA GPUs for this. And I just did a story. Now, OpenAI has created ChatGBT. Microsoft is an investor in that, recently re-upped with $10 billion extra for that. But to train that model, you know, you need thousands and thousands and thousands of processors. And you're probably talking $10 to $20 million to train that large language mod model, right, LLM. But to run it, you probably need about the same amount every single week. So you're running this, you're spending electricity, connectivity, all this stuff, networking, all that stuff, space, right? And so then we come across and we say, hey, Google, you suck. How can you, how come you didn't come up with something like this? Why didn't you do something like this? What, what's going on? And Bing got, you know, a bump, a legit bump. I actually did a story on that as well from integrating some of the results of ChatGPT. Well, turns out that if Google was going to do this for all of their searches, they'd be spending between 30 and $100 billion in CapEx to fund the GPUs to make it happen. So this is not an easy problem, an easy challenge. It's not like you could say, boom, hey, we're going to do it. They have similar technology. It's called BARD, and they could do something fairly similar. That said, We've already seen that an error in what Google put out cost them billions in market valuation because they appeared to be behind in AI. But we've also seen that Sydney, aka ChatGPT, aka Microsoft's implementation of ChatGPT in Bing Search, has gotten a little squirrely, right? Has <laughs> gotten a little weird. Fell in love with a journalist, said you should divorce your wife, <laughs> other things like that, right? So there's immense potential. And the challenge is to navigate between the, this will change the world immediately, jobs are totally disappearing, and the, it's so wrong and it's awful and it's horrible, and find, you know what? It's glorious. It's amazing. It's incredible what we've managed to create. It's not perfect. Probably never will be. Guess what? We're not perfect. <laughs> Shocker, right? And, you know, just add a couple more years to this. Add more recent data. The OpenAI model stopped learning that the LLM stopped training on about 2019 data or 2021. I forget which one. And so as we get something like that and a little more intelligence, a little more maybe wisdom, baked into the things that we're asking to, to create information for us. 
Uh, it is going to be incredible. It is going to be amazing. It is going to create huge change in our society as well. And you know what? We're not well set up to be ready for that. Yeah, and it's thanks very much, John. I mean, that's that's a great summary of the current landscape, um, and it has got a little bit uh, a little bit weird at the edges in a few uh, use cases. You're right, and I think there's there's quite a bit of human input too because we get very carried away on the machines, and then there's everybody using it. And I'm sure to some degree we're also uh, guinea pigs and uh, helping train uh, the engines in terms of in terms of our you know, whether they're chat prompts or whatever, you know, intricate workflow we've we've got the AI doing these days. Uh, but one thing for sure is it doesn't seem to be slowing down. If anything, it seems to be speeding up. And uh, when I think about, and I've had some recent discussions, you know, about things like movies and synthetic voice and being able to recreate near-perfect character tone and voices of actors living and past, uh, and when we look at the written word, um, it may not be writing at sort of a top flight publication, you know, qualified journalistic, you know, uh, exquisite level, but it's pretty good. And it's better than most of the writing that you come across uh, out there in terms of, you know, the bulk of user generated content. It seems extraordinary how fast this is um, developing. And it has a massive implication for businesses and for individuals, doesn't it? It really does. And there's like five or six things in what you said. So if I don't hit them all, come back and hit me with them. But what you said right off the top really kind of struck me because I have a friend and you're talking about creating prompts. And I have a friend who does a lot of NFT art and he's gone through the, the high point. He's going through the winter and he's continuing on the path. So more power to him. And we think, okay, hey, AI will do the job. It'll it'll finish the thing. It's like a press. It's, it's a big fat easy button in the sky, right? Easy button in the cloud, <laughs> right? Well, he spends two to three hours on each image, perfectly crafting the prompt, which is really really critical. And the results are amazing. But he spends another couple hours in Photoshop, tweaking, adding, editing, those sorts of things. The result is maybe something that no one could ever have dreamed of before, or maybe something that no one could ever have created before, or maybe something that a really high-end graphic artist might create in a week's work or something like that, right? But it's not instant. Can you imagine? There's probably a future. There's probably a, re a present reality right now where somebody is hiring somebody. Maybe they didn't put in the job description, but they're probably hiring somebody because they're a good prompter of AI. <laughs> didn't think that was going to be a job did you <laughs> a decade ago or a year ago uh, so there's really interesting possibilities there it's it's enhancing our ability to create more and to create more quality and no one knows where it's going to end up yeah I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there and it, you see these posts now and again, don't you, that do the rounds where it says, oh, these jobs didn't didn't exist five years ago. These jobs didn't exist 10 years ago. And if you think about five years from now or 10 years from now, that's pretty scary because, you know, it's very realistic that today you need somebody that can write AI prompts, you know, an AI prompt writer that's worth their salt. It's, you know, people, will, brands will pay for that because getting the, <laughs> Ultimately, what you're doing is you're, you're almost shortcutting the amount of time it takes to get 
an end result that's truly impressive and can be used on a global scale. Now, there's a few courtroom battles to happen and there's a, there's a little bit of copywriting, as you mentioned at the top, um, to happen too. But at the moment, it seems to be one big melting pot of creativity. And I think we're only just touching the very tip of this. Um, mm -hmm. It seems to have um, an awful long way to go. And I don't think we've seen, I think what we're seeing now is is almost the, the pre-runner. It's almost the trailer to what's coming. At least that's the way I'm feeling about it. Because what's coming, I think, is is going to be truly staggering. Well, you're kind of hitting at what is some people called singularity, right? Where uh, the pace of innovation stops being this curve and stops kind of being this you know, angle and starts being this, whoa, you know, whether we get there, whether that happens, that's a matter for some speculation. But how we deal with what we have right now is really, really interesting. And I have two examples of that. Uh, one friend, um, his kid was told in no uncertain terms, you may not use chat GPT <laughs> in the classroom. Do not use it. And you know what? Kind of a decade ago, we were hearing, do not use Wikipedia. Do not quote that as a source <laughs> in your paper you know, for your essay, whatever it is, right? Another, I was just listening to a teacher, uh, I, was, I just emceed a conference in Vegas last week, and a teacher, actually a professor, came up and she said, hey, I instruct my students, use ChatGPT, use the tools you have. Now, use discretion, see what it's saying, see what it's not saying, what is it missing, is it accurate, do some fact checking. That's a really interesting thing because we've said for a couple decades now in education, by the way, I have a master's in educational technology, kind of random fact, but I do. What we've said for decades in, in education is we don't want people to learn rote lists of facts and memorize them and then repeat them without understanding. How do you get understanding? You get understanding by wrestling with opinions, by contrasting them with what you can believe are facts and, and then identifying, can I believe that? Is it reputable? Is it not reputable? Is it credible? Is it not credible? Those sorts of things. Is it possible that you might actually learn more by dealing deeply, not copy paste with chat GPT and, and then creating a paper with that? It's likely in fact now are we going to have the issues where somebody's going to do the copy paste absolutely we've had that for years we've had that we've had that for hundreds of years if not thousands of years there's probably some uh, cheating in uh, carved in stone <laughs> from from three thousand years ago <laughs> there's probably something like that so that's always going to continue but pretending that change isn't happening hasn't served education very well yeah i i totally agree and it's an element of you know it goes back doesn't it to the robotics i know you 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 write on robot the robotics too it's the you know we're all doomed the jobs are going to disappear and then the other side is well it's working with robotics it's no different in the ai world it's we're all doomed versus well if you work with the ai it can actually help people to be much more uh, productive now i know there are strong arguments on both sides of that coin um but when it comes to working with AI, I mean, you write an awful lot of great content and you write for Forbes and, and other publications. And are you using chat 
GPT, for example, to help put the basic foundations of an article together? Are you grabbing titles and keywords? Are you helping it pull together lists? How how does that work when you're dealing with professional, you know, global branded publications? Because it's very hard to stop that creeping in because it sort of does a lot of the groundwork for writers now, doesn't it? It can help an awful lot in uh, uh, article construction, albeit the journalist, the writer, the author is having to add their own expertise, their own forward-looking statements. You know, the data set ends at 2021, so it's not much use after that. But what what are your thoughts on that as somebody who's been writing for many, many years, John? It's a great question, uh, and it's a super interesting question. First of all, I don't, and I wonder sometimes, am I losing out by not doing that? Am I dating myself? Am I am I uh, falling behind by not doing that? The reason I don't is is pretty simple. I only write about stuff that I have a certain level of passion about, that I have a certain level of interest about. and And so writing about it, is the fun part. It, and, and and even when I have clients, so I have clients that I do some thought leadership for under my own name. I don't do stuff under people's other names, but I only write about what I'm interested in, what I care about, what I have passion about. And I don't think, like if I was just doing content, I hate that word content. If I was just doing content, you know, for content marketing or for SEO or something like that, more power to them. Great. Churn it out. No worries. You know, words by the yard. There you go. Penny, whatever it is. I don't do that. Uh, That's a key reason why. The other key reason is I always write as an individual i always write as myself and there's a there's an emotional piece of that there's a there's a stylistic piece there's a characteristic piece to that and so sometimes most times when i'm writing i'm a co- i'm cognizant that we're in a world uh, where attention is the scarce resource information is not the scarce resource and so what do i have to do to make you pay attention to make you I need I need to catch you with something. You know what? I need to hit you in the face with my first line, my first paragraph, a question, a thought, some pro- provocative idea, whatever it could be. So in my opinion right now, ChatGPT is good at giving me a summary of received wisdom on topics of general interest and sometimes very specific interest in programming languages and scientific endeavors and stuff like that. It's not great, in my opinion, at providing, wow, that's a, you know, I love the way this person thinks or how they follow thoughts with other ones or how they construct meaning or other things like that. And so I think that's, um, what is important for me in my creative process. And I have the gall to believe that some people out there might actually like that. And 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 that might be a reason why they read what I do. So that's kind of one reason. But I do wonder, am I am I wasting my time? And I've played with other content generation, story generation pieces, and I've written articles about them as well. And they tend to be kind of blah which is great if you want to write automated recapitulations of triple a baseball games in uh fremont california that you know have 
3,000 fans, and nobody's going to do that write-up. Nobody's going to write that news story. But if the AI can write that news story, and then those 3,000 fans or that those 100 fans for that high school baseball team, right, then can get the story of what happened in an away game that they couldn't attend, great. So there's so much room for things that will never be created unless we have a very simple, cheap, and quick way of doing them. Yeah, you, you raised some great points there. Um, and the other thing that, that I'm considering is as well that the area of what gets promoted or what gets read or offered or served, and I'm heading into the mysterious world of algorithms here, um, is AI writing being, you know, dinged, held back, restricted, de-emphasized? Um, it's a little bit like plagiarism in an article where you can run them through a checker like that. It'll tell you whether this has appeared somewhere else before. Very common for, you know, in the, the, the article writing world to make sure that you're not, somebody's not just submitting a piece that's just been plagiarized from two or three other articles. And we see that now, don't we, with the AI checkers. They're getting more sophisticated where the machines are almost giving you a score to say, well, there's a 90% chance this was written by another machine or there's a 15% chance that this was written by a machine. So you're 85% chance it's written by a human. But even that is becoming quite a variable. And I've seen, um, you know, there's quite a lot of questions about the future of content, the future of articles, the future of, you know, back into that world of, SEO and predicting what gets served, it's a little bit like asking an Amazon Echo device for some batteries and it will tell you which batteries it wants you to buy. It might give you a choice of three, but they're the choices that it wants to serve you. Uh, and so when you mix this great tool uh, that's changing the, the world of content dramatically with the major players who control what you see, um, it is interesting to see what the rules are. And right now, to me, at least, it appears like very murky waters, very hard to figure out. There's there's a ton in what you just said there to unpack. Um, there's, there's what do we privilege? Uh, what do the algorithms privilege? What do the platforms want? Um, what do they look for? What do they promote? And how does that all work? And how are... How are people using machines to game other machines in order to gain an advantage in a great game of commerce? We often confuse process for product. And so if you look at search engine optimization, SEO, you have machines writing content for other machines to read, and then a bunch of other processes around there to try and rank so that some company get higher in search results so that they can get more revenue from something. Ultimately, it gets to the point where you're investing so many resources to game the system. Why don't you just do the thing that you need in the first place, which is insanely awesome insights in super relevant help. You know, maybe it's just easier to do the right thing than to do the fake thing. Uh, but hey, <laughs> if you can't make it, fake it. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting um, an interesting few months and few years. I think uh, I think this story will run and run. It certainly um, will. Uh, before we we uh, move on to some of the topics, I did want to touch on the world of IoT. Um, I wanted to talk about devices, the machine to machine side of things, because I know you 
you uh, write and have um, expertise in that area too. And it's kind of somewhere between AI, robotics, and you know uh, the whole world of IO IoT and connected devices. Um, and the reason why I want to bring it up is because we were just talking there about, um, you know, the machines deciding which content gets shared. And yes, there's an element that says, well, if you're a great writer and you can put something out and people like it in your style, your tone, your voice, um, your viewpoint. Um, it's the reason why people buy magazines or newspapers. They like the way people write. Uh, they like their famous, their, their uh, most favorite columnist or you know author or journalist so it's no different but this stuff's getting very smart you can tell it to well can you just take that article you've written and rewrite it in the style of malcolm gladwell or can you do that mm -hmm. as if simon Sinek had wrote it or uh, john had wrote it can you just make that and if you've got enough content out there it'll have a pretty good stab at it but when it comes to machines connecting with machines um do you think that 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 is also uh, as impacted by this um drive in AI? It certainly is. Um, and I've had this thing for a few years uh, that I call smart matter. Um, and it's bits of matter that have a bunch of components, radios for communication, sensors for seeing what's going on around it, CPUs or GPUs for computation, right? And actuators, in many cases, for doing work. Uh, that could be as simple as, as something that moves a, a little diaphragm to create sound, right? Or it could be something that actually picks something up and creates a drink as a robot bartender. And I've had this dream, which is so far unfulfilled and probably is likely to be frustrated for perpetuity, to calculate the percentage of matter on planet Earth that is smart. And, and so you could look at the vegetable matter and design certain technology. You could look at the humans, animals, those sorts of things. But I'm primarily looking at things like an echo or other things like that or robots or uh, your dishwasher is pretty smart these days, actually. Your oven is, is certainly, it's got some, some fridges are really quite smart, right? What's the percentage? And tracking that over time, that would be very interesting to see how that tracks, because I firmly believe that, you know, assuming uh, we don't have nuclear apocalypse or, you know, plague of zombies or something like that, you know, pretty much everything in your house you, is 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 going to be smart. And, and so your windows will know when the sun is shining on them. Maybe they'll convert some of that energy. Your walls will know what stresses are happening, right? Your, your sofa will know when you're sitting or, or, or not sitting there, other things like that. Lots of challenges in that world. Uh, we think of privacy. We think of where that data resides. Does it reside in the cloud? Does it reside locally? Who controls it? Who owns it? Who can see that? All different things like that, right? Um, but your your Wi-Fi router should know if you're home, if anybody's home. Why is it continuously just pinging out, using energy, filling our filling our atmosphere with 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 radio waves when nobody's there to be using it? It could just go into a sleeper mode or something like that, right? That is an interesting world, and 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 that is a world where we can we can theoretically do a lot of things better. Um, it's also a world where theoretically uh, you can think of a lot of nightmare scenarios. Yeah, 
it's somewhere between a bright, shiny future and a scary future, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes smart is worse, right? I mean, literally worse. Yeah. I had to, I've twice in the past few years, I've had to change my home router. And, and you know, you, you can have the same name, but it's not exactly the same. It doesn't have the same SSID or whatever the ID is on a router. And guess what? None of your smart home equipment works. And all it has to be changed over, and usually individually, and usually in some painful, horrible, awful process uh this is not fun sometimes you just want to switch to you know lights on lights off done <laughs> yeah the compatibility of the devices although there, there have been several movements as i'm sure you know to try and standardize some of this stuff but it's it's the wild west sometimes trying to connect these yes things, you know yes are you, you on team like amazon <laughs> are you no. on team ios are you in team google <laughs> right <laughs> are, do you play on all the different teams are you very agnostic are you thankful for matter the protocol that's going to make them all talk does it really work is your old stuff still compatible or do you need to toss it all out and spend another ten thousand dollars <laughs> i feel your pain john i feel your pain <laughs> Uh, but look, that's great. I think we've sorted the world out there a little bit. Totally. Done. Check. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, we even squeezed in the zombie apocalypse, so it's always good to move on. Um, I want to ask you a few other questions. I don't want to run out of time with you while I've got you here today, John. I wanted to ask you about your own learning style, the things that you uh, keep abreast of. You know, are you a, an avid reader, a book, are you an audio book person, are you a podcast? Obviously, you make podcasts. Are you a podcast listener? Do you learn visually? Are you, or are you just, look, I just need to turn on Netflix. I've had enough today. Uh, how does it work for you? I'm, uh, I, I learn by reading. Um, I will, I, I hate that Google has prioritized YouTube video results for like how to fix this thing or whatever. Cause I don't want to watch, you know, a video at ever, whatever speed that that person has. I want to read. I can read very fast. Right. Uh, teacher checked me uh not while well, i wasn't paying attention i was just reading i was reading 660 words a minute in grade four and so i can learn pretty quickly that way and at my own speed so i do that i you know if you're in the right subreddits you can learn a lot on reddit <laughs> you can learn a lot on twitter if you follow the right people and I follow uh, a lot of different news outlets as well, including technology news outlets. So I like the long form stuff occasionally for the evenings or the weekends. Um, and, and that's primarily how I learn. I do read. I love to read, um, but uh, spend less time doing that than I used to. Thanks, John. Uh, and what about, uh, you know, your career today? You, you've done such an awful lot of things and you you're kind of doing the things and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you, you strike me as somebody who's doing the things that you love right now. You know, you're at that point. Um, and what about people along your journey that you admire that have inspired you? Uh, or maybe it's a, you know, a personality trait or the kind of people you like to uh, learn from. There was a CEO of a company that I worked for when I was very young and very stupid um, and, and, and thought I was smart and thought I knew a lot of stuff and um, gave me some really good advice uh, that took me some years to process. Some of it, you know, operationalized pretty quickly. Some of it took me years to process and I'm still, still thankful. He's dead now, um, and, but I'm still thankful for his wisdom and guidance. It's a really 
hard thing to give good advice. And it's a really hard thing to see somebody in which there may be some potential, but there's also some rough edges and some rawness and to not overreact on the rough edges and the rawness, but also to see the potential and to guide that and, and, and shape a little bit. And I'm still thankful for that. Yeah. His name is Hank Behrens. And, um, and I really do appreciate that. And then other people that I look up to, um, you know, a lot, I, I read a lot of science fiction and I, and I have read a lot of science fiction. And, and so I've always uh, liked those authors, the Asimovs, the Heinleins, the old guys, but also uh, the David Brins, others. Um, and in fact, uh, Brin edited my first book, which is a science fiction uh, book. And he did it entirely gratis after I reached out to him on Twitter. It was insane. Uh, super thankful. Wow, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Thanks for sharing that, John. Um, and what about what about advice? Uh, obviously, the you know the the gentleman that you mentioned uh, obviously is is one. But what about advice that you've picked up along the way on your journey that that has stuck with you that you carry with you to this day that you think is just you know some of that world advice that you just really took to heart and you know one maybe one of those things where you go, I wish I'd have known that earlier. Uh, or is there some advice that you end up sharing with people often that you'd like to share with us today? I'll give you one piece that my mom gave me. Um, she's now 87 and she has Alzheimer's, so it's a little challenging. Um, but uh, she said every day is a new day. You know what? Stuff is going to suck. Stuff is not going to work. Every morning is a new morning and a new attempt to try. That's one. Here's another. And this is not new. You've probably heard this before, but... Systems beat energy, systems beat motivation. Um, if you want to get something done, put it in your calendar, obey your calendar, do it, do it, do it repeatedly. It's not about, I really want, I really want, and I can force myself to want something so badly, so hard, I'll make it, you know what? That dissipates, that flows away, that ebbs, the emotion is temporary, it'll come back from time to time, it'll go away, it'll be hard, you'll be tired, you'll be depressed, you'll be hungry, you'll be whatever, it won't be the right time, or, you know, if you have a system and you obey the system and you have good habits, good things can work. And I think the third piece is no one else's definition of success matters and you don't have to be something that you're not. And maybe that's kind of Pablo, maybe that's kind of Disney or whatever, but it's really important for people to know that uh, a successful person may live in a very small place, may have very limited means, but may do amazing things and live an amazing life in how they perceive that they can be a difference for good in the world. And that's more important than anything in terms of followers, in terms of fame, in terms of wealth. And um, yeah, I'll stop there. I like all three of those. They're wonderful uh, pieces of advice. If I had to, if I only could choose one, I'd probably go with mom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, they are three cracking pieces of advice. Thanks very much indeed for giving us a little bit of insight there, John. Um, as you look forward, as you plan, as you think about what you want to achieve over the next six months, nine months, 12 months, how does the planning process work for you? What's on your horizon? What are you looking forward to? What are you hoping to, to achieve? It's a really interesting question because <clears throat> I've, I've, I'm not really a planner um, in the sense that, that 
I've had goals and I've worked towards them and everything like that, but I'm more intuitive, emotional there. I want to go in that general direction. And then what I do is I jump in the pool. <laughs> I jump in the pool. And my, my wife hates this about me because, you know, I, I decided like three years ago, you know what, I'm going to do video podcasting. And I started buying gear and doing stuff. And I, I'm sure I've gone through four different cameras, right? You know, trying to find one that I like better, different, different mics, all this stuff. And you can get sucked, stuck in, in the gear thing. If I just had better gear, my podcast would be better. If I just had a better camera, what I said would be smarter. And that's not true in any sense, but you know, as you try and be the best you can be in an area, jumping in and trying stuff and doing stuff is really, really critical. And I want to say that I've had probably over seven figures of revenue from jumping into that pool. And so I jump into a lot of pools. Sometimes you got to jump out. It's okay. You know what? Sometimes maybe it's a smart idea to dip your toe in first. And, and, and that's not horrible, uh, but I tend to, to, to leap. And then if you leap enough and you're not insane about the risks you take, you know, you, you've got a reserve and you've got, you've got some safeguards and stuff like that. Eventually you're going to leap into something that is good and something that works. And you only need to find that once. It's like Edison, right? He found what, 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb. You know, you only need to find one that works for you. And if you find one that works for you, and guess what? You probably have to change after three, four years because the world changes, people change, you change. So it's not like I find it and I'll do this for 25 years. You know, it's not the way it works anymore. But if you, if you jump into enough pools, you're going to find one that you like. It's good temperature. You can swim there. It's a great place to be and you can have a living. That's a great approach. I like that a lot. Um, I suppose before we do run out of time, I want to ask you, is there anything that we haven't touched on? Because we've, we've talked about a lot there, John. Uh, but is there anything else that you want to share with our worldwide audience? And also, and importantly, if people want to reach out and find more about your writing or the work that you're involved in, where's the best place to send people to? Uh. I think we've covered a lot and, and I'm happy with what we covered. Uh, if anybody wants to find me, they can Google me if they can spell my last name. Ha, huh, challenge given. <laughs> it's uh, John Kutsir, Twitter, LinkedIn are good places to go. That's wonderful. Well, look, that brings us nicely to the end of the episode today. Uh, big thanks to John for joining me here on the Global Discussion. It's been a great pleasure to catch up with you, John. Thanks to everybody who's watching or listening to this episode around the world. Like, follow, subscribe, do all the things I need you to do to help support the podcast. And please join me back here for more discussions with creatives, leaders, and thinkers. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. All mine.